What's up, sports fans? It's time for Let Me Speak. I'm Joe Braverman, and on this show, we discuss the big news in the world of sports as heard from me, myself, and I. Here's what we'll be talking about this week. With three weeks left to go before the playoffs, the NFL team's in the best spot in our weekly rankings. Plus, what does Draymond Green's future look like after his latest suspension? And, looking back on the biggest moments in sports from 2023. You're listening to episode 98 of Let Me Speak. Let's get it started. Give me that intro. Let me speak. everybody we are here on tuesday december 19 2023 giving you episode 98 of let me speak otherwise known as the final show of 2023 thank you everyone for tuning in wherever you are getting this podcast and not only is it the final show of the year it's six days away from christmas holiday season is getting it's getting stressful i will tell you that right now doing all the christmas shopping and the decorating all that kind of stuff it's pretty chaotic, but of course, if it wasn't chaotic, it wouldn't be Christmas. That's how it would be. So I hope everyone enjoys the holidays, has a tremendous time. And we're going to go out here with a bang. We're going to have a look back on everything that happened in 2023, uh, the best moments uh, in sports during that time. But of course, as we do every week, we start the show with an updated list of the NFL power and our bottom rankings. And lo and behold, we are only three weeks away from figuring out who is in the playoffs, okay? We've got three more weeks of games, and this is where the schedule gets kind of chaotic. You got Thursday night game, you got a Saturday game, Sunday, Monday. Like, they're going to be scattered all over the place, so we'll try and keep it in tight as close as we can, at least when previewing games and looking back on games. We'll try and keep it tight. And there are only, just looking at the standings here, four teams who have clinched a playoff spot just yet. Usually there's about, I would say maybe half of the spots. You know, there's 14 spots. I would have thought there would have been at least six that were uh, that were clinched, but it's just so tight right now. And this sort of segues into how we start our power rankings uh, with our number 10 team because everything is so congested. There are, I don't know how many teams right now, eight and six, Seven and seven, like a lot more teams are in contention than you think. Um, but to get into the rankings, I don't want to put this team here because I still do not believe the circumstances that they are in. But the fact is, the Cleveland Browns are nine and five, and I can't ignore that. So I have to give the devil their due and put Cleveland in number 10. Yes, they escaped. From Chicago on a Hail Mary that was basically batted around all over the place. But I just have a very hard time believing that a Cleveland team who's on their fourth quarterback and a 40-year-old Joe Flacco is 9-5. and five. Like to go from Watson to DTR to Walker now to Flacco. And they have nine wins on the year. Like, I just have a hard time believing that. 
I mean, yeah, you can give the devil their due by saying, oh, look at Joe Flacco, 374 yards and two touchdowns. But what about the three interceptions? I mean, they're not going to go far, but as of right now, they are in the driver's seat considering the games they have left at Houston, the Jets, and at Cincinnati are the three left. They control their own destiny. And considering the defense that they have, I mean, if they can hold Chicago to 236 yards, they can do the same to Houston, depending on if C.J. Stroud plays or not. They can definitely do that with the Jets. And Cincinnati is so up in the air that either could happen. So I hate to say it, but I think the Browns are going to get into the playoffs. I I just have a very, very hard time believing that is the case. But it is reality that Cleveland controls their destiny and can get themselves into the playoffs. I I hate to say it, and I know I got a buddy of mine who's a big Browns fan is like, ah, ah, look at that, look at that. But that's the case. That is the case with the Cleveland Browns. So for now, devil their due. Not expecting them to go on a big-time run, but if they make the playoffs, and I guess a golf clap will be uh, necessary for Stefanski in that defense because those are the only things that are carrying them right now. Moving on to number nine, though, I had to move this team back a little bit because they are on a downskid, and that's the Jaguars. Uh, another another loss, this time to the Ravens on Sunday Night Football, which is uh, expected. I mean, the Ravens are the top team in the AFC right now. The thing, though, I look at with Jacksonville, yes, they are still winning the AFC South uh, via the tiebreaker. But as I said, everything's so congested that Indy keeps winning, and Houston keeps winning, and there could be tiebreakers all over the place. But they need to start winning games because they are in a world of trouble. Not only do you have uh, Indy and Houston on your tails, but now your quarterback, who's already on a bum ankle, is in concussion protocol. So your quarterback, who's basically been the lifeline of your team, which has helped you to those eight wins, now is dealing with even more issues right now. And you need him. You need him. Because honestly, I only see one definite winning game that they have on their schedule. And that's at home to Carolina. I think the Titans can give them troubles uh, at the end of the year. And Tampa, obviously, is going to be so back and forth. Obviously, they'll be fighting for their playoff spot. So, Jacksonville is going to have to win out. Especially now with Indy's schedule. They're at Atlanta. They host the Raiders. And they host the Texans. That's a two out of three wins, possibly, for Indy. Houston, they could run the table. Browns, Titans, at the Colts. So, Jacksonville's got to win. They need They need to win out, essentially, I think. I would still favor them to make the playoffs. Um, but in terms of the division, it's now wide open. And considering just how banged up Trevor Lawrence is, that's the reason you're going to struggle. I mean, the offense can only do so much when you have C.J. Beathard and for a guy who is essentially your franchise quarterback. So that's why Jacksonville is at number nine. Three straight losses, and they have not looked good in them. Moving on, though, to number eight, I think, you know, this is a team that's come back from the dead and is starting to be taken uh, into an elite status once again, and that's Buffalo. Bills absolutely destroying the Cowboys 31-10. to 10. 
Now, they still need to win out because they put themselves in a really bad spot with their lackluster uh, uh, six and five start, basically in 500. Um, but when you look at the game, though, when you look at the game for Buffalo, Josh Allen didn't even crack 100 yards passing. I mean, the team as a whole had 266 rushing yards, and you had basically this resurgence and a star is born uh, with James Cook, who rushed 179 yards and caught for 42. I think if you do that math, that's 221 yards himself and two touchdowns from scrimmage. So I think hopefully Buffalo has found that running back that can take the load off of Josh Allen. But sometimes there have been games where Josh Allen just has to say, you know what, everyone get out of the way. I'll take care of this myself. Whether it's uh, escaping the pocket, making broke uh, big plays out of broken plays, um, he he does need that help with the run game if they're going to make a deep run. But I initially a couple of weeks ago was saying Buffalo is going to miss the playoffs. Now, because everything's so congested and everything's so wide open, they're right back into it. All they have to do is win out, and they've got a pretty favorable schedule, uh, if you ask me. They got the uh, Chargers this Saturday. I believe the week after that, they'll have Buffalo, uh, the Patriots. So that's two wins right there. You know, if you're one of these eight and six or seven and seven teams, if you get two wins, you're in. That's essentially what you're looking at. And I think Buffalo can do that. <laughs> so if you look at where Buffalo is, they can be a big spoiler if they get on to uh, the wild card. I mean, it would be sweet to see maybe a rematch between Chiefs and Bills uh, if that's the way it goes. But I think Buffalo can win those games. And I have a feeling, I mean, you got Indy and Houston playing each other. I don't know if the allure of Jake Browning, at least for Cincinnati, is going to wear off or not, especially now Jamar Chase is out, one of the top targets out there. So I don't know. I, I think Buffalo is in a good spot, and I think they should and will make the playoffs. I mean, they are sitting in ninth, but that's just because of tiebreakers. So that's what I see with Buffalo. Buffalo will make the playoffs. Mark my words right here. Um, Number seven, I have to leave idle because they're still kind of up in the air for me, and that's the Lions. I mean, just all of a sudden, this complete 180 where they dominate Denver on Saturday night. Um, The big thing was to clean up the turnovers, which they did. They looked like that locomotive offense that we're used to seeing nearly 450 yards of offense, five touchdowns for Jared Goff. Um, the running back combo finally breaking through with Gibbs and Montgomery getting 185 yards combined. But as always, this will come down to Jared Goff and his interceptions. You know, how many turnovers will he have? He didn't have any turnovers at all, which was a step in the right direction. It was a step in the right direction uh, for for Jared Goff. He needs to clean that up. And then the pass defense just has to get so much better. I talked about it a couple weeks ago. They don't have any pass rush. Uh, they can't uh, rush the quarterback. And then the secondary is a little bit banged up. So pass defense and turnovers, two biggest things right now for Detroit. I mean, they are in a firm spot in the playoffs right now. I'm pretty sure they could probably clinch a spot. Uh, if they win uh, this next week's game, which will it, it should be a winning game, I should say, uh, looking at Minnesota. <laughs> so that's what I think uh, with Detroit is they're just kind of 
I think they're going to kind of float under the radar um, considering, you know, how much parity there is. You know, I'm not going to say Detroit's going to make it to the conference championship, but um, if they start to play a little bit well in these last three games, then I might need to get back on the wagon, essentially, for them. Uh, Number six, I'm very surprised that this team has sunk as low as they have, and that's the Eagles. I mean, this was a team that was at the top of the NFC and top of the football world for many, many weeks. And now here they are third straight loss. They basically blow the game to the Seahawks. They let drew lock come back and march the Seahawks down the field. I mean, yes, it was a miraculous uh, touchdown grab from Jackson Smith to Jigba, which was maybe one of the better catches of the year. The way he was able to just drag his foot into the corner uh, of the end zone. But that doesn't take away how much Philly has struggled. And all those premonitions that I had about, oh, Philly doesn't look as dominant as they did last year when they made the Super Bowl, that's real now. These are officially real. You can put a stamp on it. I mean, the first thing you have to look at is defensively. Not only do you let Drew Locke, of all people, move your offense onto a game, move his offense on a game-winning drive, but the defense has taken huge step backs. I mean, this was a top 10 defense. Now, when you compare their numbers from last year to this year, they are now the seventh worst scoring defense. They are 22nd in yards allowed per game. Keep in mind, they were second last year. They have the fifth worst passing defense, which was the best in 2022. This was a pass defense that went from allowing 180 yards per game to 255 yards per game. That's a huge jump. That's a huge jump. So, and I know they didn't have Darius Slay, but even with him in the lineup, it wasn't much of, uh, it didn't really help anybody. So defense is number one. Number two is Jalen Hurts. He seems very non-committal. I mean, I maybe I shouldn't say non-committal, but he doesn't look as, he's not utilizing his arm uh, as much as he probably should. I mean, two more interceptions on the year, which were to the same guy. Uh, to Julian Love, but you look at his turnovers, he's already doubled the amount of interceptions that he had last year to this year. He had six all of last year. He's got 12 with still three games to go. And everyone, I, I will say, just looking at the schedule, it was a gauntlet of a schedule, but the Seahawks were really where it sort of took a step back, essentially, because now the Eagles will play the Giants uh, twice, um, after having in consecutive weeks, uh, maybe not necessarily in this order, but the Niners, the Chiefs, the Bills, um, just so many big teams, so many gauntlets back to back. But I still don't see Philly as the same team that they were a year ago, unless Jalen Hurts cleans up his turnovers and the defense can shut down the passing game. Because right now, they don't seem to be doing that. And that's a big problem if Philly wants to get themselves back into the Super Bowl. And they easily could have capitalized on Dallas losing to Buffalo and gotten that lead back in the NFC East. Well, now, via the tiebreaker, they're not leading the division anymore. They still have a playoff berth, but they're fifth now. I mean, I hate to say this, but a division winner versus a wildcard berth are two completely different th- teams. Essentially, the way you're looking at it is 
you're getting home field against a divisional opponent. Right now, if things were to end, it would be uh the it would be the Cowboys hosting the Rams, the Lions hosting the Vikings, and the Bucks hosting uh the Eagles. Home field is big, especially for a Philly crowd. I know that Philly crowd. Yes, they're rambunctious and annoying, but it's a big home field advantage. So Philly has got to kick it into gear these last three weeks and start showing everybody why they were a Super Bowl team a year ago. Otherwise, it's just going to be a runaway and another chance for those Eagles fans to uh, be upset about how close they were. That's just the big rant that I had uh, with Philly going on. Moving on, though, to the top five, and I'm going to put the Dolphins here. The only reason I am putting them at, I'm moving them up a spot at number five is because Philly lost, and they've been on a downward trend. You know, I'm still not a believer in Miami because, yes, they won 30 to nothing, but it was to the Jets, who had so many issues. Um, I will say, there's a sliver of hope that uh, the offense are able to put up these points without Tyreek Hill. But this offense only got 290 yards, and they average about 415. So there's no doubt in my mind that Miami needs Tyreek Hill's speed. They need his playmaking because that's essentially Tua's go-to. You know, literally give him anything. Give him a screen pass. Give him a slant over the middle. Let him run deep. Tua will find him. You know, yes, he had a 60-yard bomb to Jalen Waddle, But let's face it, Jalen Waddle is not Tyreek Hill. So... Uh, that's Tyree kill is the be all end all for Miami. He's not on the field. They have zero chance. Uh, if he is on the field, there's slightly more of a zero chance again. Show me when the dolphins beat a winning team. And Hey, if they beat the Cowboys this week in Dallas, then that actually might be something good to talk about with Miami. But until they do it, I can't believe in them just yet. Uh, going to number four, though, I'm going to put the reigning champs here. I'm going to put the Chiefs, uh, who got back on the winning side of things. Patrick Mahomes still doesn't have three straight losses in his whole career. Um, the offense looked better, but still struggled. And I understand, you know, some might want to say that this is a good Patriots team, but let's face it, Kansas City shot themselves in the foot so many times. Um, Kadarius Tony with another drop leading to an interception. This dude should not be taking the field one more time, unless on special teams. Like, he should not be having a role where the ball is in his hands. And you can see, you saw on the second interception that Tony dropped, you know, while it was a little bit behind him, he still had palms on it. And I always say, palms means you have to catch it. You know, fingertips, you can have a little excuse. Not a big one, but a little one. But that was a full-fledged catch. And you saw afterwards on the sidelines, Mahomes, was once again mad. So this isn't the same Patrick Mahomes in the same offense that we're seeing, obviously. You know, 27 of 37, 305, two touchdowns, two picks are not Mahomes-like numbers. Um, again, not getting bailed out by the run game. Only 43 rushing yards. And I argued this with Andy Hart uh, while we were watching the game. Even when Isaiah Pacheco was in there, there's no effective run game uh, from Kansas City. So I'm still, this still doesn't, move the needle quite for me because this was the Patriots. You know, if this was a different team, you know, maybe if they do this on Monday against the Raiders, this will be another uh, side of things. But, you know, the first seed is still possible, but they are going to have to win out, which is possible. 
which is possible. Raiders, Bengals, and at the Chargers, they can easily win those three. But they're going to have to win out and hopefully get some luck uh, from the other teams ahead of them. That would be uh, the Ravens and the Dolphins. They still got a ways to go. Um, and they kind of need a miracle to get to that one seed. So uh, no moves for me, at least for uh, Kansas City. You know, they, they could still be the cream of the crop when they get to the playoffs, but they've got a different road that they've got to get down uh, to do that. Number three, I I don't know if I should feel joy or just anger uh, at the Cowboys because right when I said, like, you know what? That needle's moving over 50% in believability. Then look what happens. Having no match in Buffalo against the Bills. And this is always what happens when you really start to take Dallas seriously. You know, I did say that I was not fully invested um, and that I was a little bit over the 50% mark a week ago because of their five straight blowout wins, especially the win uh, against Philly. Um, Now I have to remember what I've said over and over and over is Dallas is always a wait for the playoff team before uh, you start to take them seriously because they're always going to have these moments when they look really, really good and they look like a really big threat. And then a game like Buffalo happens. And then the week after that, it could be another one to, to Miami. Um, so I have to keep reminding myself that Dallas is a team to not make any conclusions on until you watch the playoffs. You know, I will even go as far as say, if they make an NFC championship, if they make the NFC championship, then I can actually start taking them seriously as believers. But until then, I have to keep reminding myself, no matter where they are in the rankings, you always have to wait for the playoffs when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys, because they will always, at least for some fans, rip your heart out. But for me, we'll basically bring us back into reality when it comes to trying to figure out how good they are. Number two, no movement here for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I should say no movement, at least in the uh, AFC, as uh, another win over the Jaguars. Still with the best uh, best record in the AFC. I think that should stay that way, but whoo, they got a tough one. They got a tough one this Monday. We'll get into it uh, just shortly. But uh, this past Sunday, I think for me, uh, Baltimore has overtaken Miami for maybe the most efficient offense in the conference. Just the the playmakers that they have, the speed that they have, uh, they do it much more consistently than the Dolphins do. I will say the offense does take a big hit uh, with that standout rookie, Keon Mitchell. Uh, he tears his ACL. Uh, so basically they have to go through another running back. I mean, they go through running backs like Cleveland goes quarterbacks, um, but they can still manage, you know, at least for that game, 250 plus yards. Um, but, you know, similar to Jalen Hurts, it's Lamar Jackson's throwing ability that's going to determine the length of their playoff run. You know, a buck 71 in passing is nice. Uh, 97 rush yards, though, on 12 carries. I mean, I guess they're in the strategy of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So as long as Lamar Jackson can make plays with his arm rather than with his feet, then you can really start to uh, take a, a deep playoff run seriously at least for uh, the Ravens side. So that's where I am with the Ravens. I still think they're the best team right now uh, in the AFC. Um, but Monday, my goodness, possible Super Bowl preview, Ravens, Niners, 
both 11 and three. I mean, as of right now, they might be my Super Bowl picks, but I got to say, it, it could be a battle for the top seed uh, in power rankings if we were to do one next week, but obviously we won't because of the holidays. Um, but what a Christmas night that's going to be. The top two teams in the NFL record-wise, that's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. I can't wait to see how the Ravens offense stacks up against the Niners, D, and vice versa. Vice versa. And speaking of the Niners, as I preluded to, uh, a battle for a number one seed in our rankings is coming up uh, because that is where the Niners are right now after another victory. A little bit of a, a tricky one against uh, the Cardinals, but they were able to get it nonetheless. And what's funny is I could say, oh, look at what Brock Purdy did again. Uh, look at what Christian McCaffrey did again. But honestly, I want to look at sort of the MVP because everyone, you know, Purdy's deflecting to McCaffrey and McCaffrey's deflecting to Purdy. And I initially was thinking last week that Dak Prescott could be the MVP, but then he chokes away a game. So now I might have to go to Purdy and McCaffrey and kind of going back and forth on these two. I'm kind of leaning a little bit towards McCaffrey. Don't get me wrong. I think Brock Purdy is a, a well-deserved candidate. I mean, four more touchdowns on the day. Uh, he's top two in yards, completion percentage. Uh, he leads the league in touchdowns and QBR passer rating. So he's got a good he's he's got a good resume. But the thing is, he's arguably not the best quarterback in the league. He's putting up the best numbers, but I think everyone would still probably put Holmes, Allen, Burrow, all those guys ahead of him. You're not going to put anyone ahead of Christian McCaffrey right now in terms of running backs. And honestly, I'm ready for another non-QB to win the award because you got to keep in mind Adrian Peterson was the last non-quarterback to win MVP and that went all the way back to 2012 matter of fact you look in this 21st century there's only four non-quarterbacks who have won MVP and they've all been running backs Marshall Falk, Sean Alexander, Ladanian Tomlinson and Adrian Peterson let's throw Christian McCaffrey on this list not only is he tied for the most touchdowns uh, from scrimmage on the year with Raheem Mostert but he's got a 300-plus yard gap between him and the next leading rusher. This dude literally scores a touchdown almost every game he plays, whether he catches one or runs one in. This guy is the MVP. He is my pick as of right now uh, to win it, unless you know he gets a, a sub-100 game in three straight weeks. He doesn't get any touchdowns, I would say, for all the parity that is going on. There's no parity regarding Christian McCaffrey. He should be the MVP favorite, and he should win it. He really should win it, but we know how the voters go. This is a quarterback award. It's a quarterback award. They'll put Purdy in the category. They'll put Dak in the category. They'll look at everyone except the running back. But if I was a voter, I'd be going at Christian McCaffrey. So that's just putting a little bow on that uh, top 10 right there. The Niners, they've got... Two MVP candidates, and they might be holding on to the number one for a long time if they can knock off uh, Baltimore on Monday Night Football on Christmas night. Getting to the bottom 10, though, this is where it gets a little bit fun or a little bit frustrating, depending on who you're rooting for. Number 10, this one should be pretty easy because if you lose to the worst team in football, you're going to get some kind of notion on this bottom 10, and that is going to the Falcons. Beaten by Carolina is enough said, but I'll just go deeper into this. Just 
The coaching of Arthur Smith, I've criticized it before, but even Terry Fontenot's roster construction. I mean, the fact that they confident, confidently went into the year with Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke as their quarterbacks is a big no-no. Big no-no. I understand when they had that seventh pick, Bijan Robinson was right there and they had to take him. But you at least had to get another quarterback in that draft. You needed to have some kind of safety backup. So I do not envy Fontenot at all with the way he has constructed the roster and Arthur Smith's game plan, the fact that he doesn't get a former number four overall pick of a tight end involved more, how he doesn't get a top draft pick receiver and Drake London involved more. That's just the game plan that he's going through. And again, no envy whatsoever for Atlanta on that one. Uh, moving on, though, number nine, kind of in the same criteria, the Titans losing to Houston in overtime, but to Case Keenum, of all people, Case Ke- you got to keep in mind, no C.J. Stroud, no Nico Collins, no Tank Dell. That's arguably the three best players that Houston has. And they uh, still are able to beat the Titans. I mean, now you've got Derrick Henry, who's basically the Titans' best player and has been for the past three years or so. He's talking about his future. Uh, He is going through the least efficient season of his career, only nine yards on 16 carries. I mean, it's a good thing the Titans get to firmly reset uh, next year. I I still am a fan of Will Levis. I know he's hurt right now. Um. But they they need to fully re restack that offense. They they need to get better receivers. They need to get a backup running back now because Derrick Henry looks like he's on the the back end of his career. Um, it's it's not a good it, it has not been a good year, uh, for Tennessee just to say the least. They're they're ready for the calendar to change uh to twenty twenty four. That's all I'll say about. Tennessee number eight though I think this one's a gimme and I'm gonna have fun with this one and that's the LA Chargers who get absolutely embarrassed on Thursday night football 63 to 21 and it was the official death nail on Brandon Staley as he finally finally gets fired after the most embarrassing performance of the season I would say even more embarrassing than when Denver put up a loss set 70 to 20 on Miami because they were down 42 nothing at halftime. Okay, I don't know why this was the official nail in the coffin of Brandon Staley. I mean, to me, it would have been blowing the 27 nothing lead to Jacksonville in the playoffs a year ago. So this should have been done a whole lot sooner. A guy who thinks he's so revolutionary with his play calls, timeout strategies, blah, 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 blah. Like the the Chargers have had a terrible year, and I don't want to hear, oh, they didn't have Justin Herbert. It was Easton Stick. Oh, they didn't have Keenan Allen either. Yeah, it doesn't even matter. This all you could have had the all Madden team on there, and Brandon Staley probably would have found a way to blow it. So goodbye, Brandon Staley. We hardly knew you. Maybe you'll get a job as a coordinator because head coach as of right now is just not your thing. Not your thing. And obviously they mailed it in. So it should be an easy win for Buffalo next week. Number seven, we're going to go to the Bears on this one. I didn't move them down and I didn't move them up. 
because they were one lucky Hail Mary bounce away from having a completely different plat. They could still be in the playoff hunt right now with how tight things are. But Darnell Mooney, the the Tarum was right there and like it fell on his chest, but he couldn't react to it enough. Um, and Cleveland intercepted it and took away the game. And now you're hearing about teammates saying that uh, Justin Fields should be the quarterback next year. And I, I'm still I'm still not there yet. I think these next three games are going to be really, really important. If if the Bears lose to the Cardinals, then I would say, okay, it's time to move on. But considering how tough of a defense Cleveland was and how Justin Fields, yes, he went 19 of 40. He had to throw 40 times because he didn't have a rush game. And yes, he threw two picks. Um Offensive line and receivers, I think, needs to be an upgrade right now. Um, so I, I think I'm leaning the way of keeping Justin Fields for one more year. But if they lose at home to Arizona, then I think that narrative is going to start changing. And it might not just be Fields who gets the X. It might be Everflus. It might be Poles, the general manager. So there's a lot of uh, variables that could happen. Uh, if Chicago loses to Arizona next week. So again, three games left. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Um, what uh, will always happen is the commanders continuing to mail in their season as they move to four and 10 now and get to number six on this list. I, I gotta tell you, I was a Sam Howell supporter, but I might need to change that after getting benched uh, for Jacoby Brissett. You got to keep in mind, Washington was down 28 to seven when they decided to make this change. Uh, Howell finished 11 of 26 for 102 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. I mean, he's got the arm strength and the arm talent. He's just got to get so much better at the decision-making. Can't be throwing these really bad interceptions. And honestly, it might be Ron Rivera just playing it safe, saying, you know what, we're 4-10. and 10. We're going to get a, a top 10 pick. Let's just, you know, mail it in and maybe hope for the best because you got Carolina with two wins. New England and Arizona has three. You know, we're right there with four, so it could be possible. It could be possible. That that could be what uh, Washington is saying right now. But uh, they're not in as bad a spot as the Giants are, uh, who are my number five team, because now they have to go back to Tyrod Taylor after Tommy DeVito, that feel-good story. He gets derailed, and they lose to the Saints, and they get embarrassed by the Saints 24-6. to It's just, it's been an offensive it's been bad. It's just been bad for the offense. I don't care if Daniel Jones was still in there or DeVito was in there. Um, even if he was in there with a concussion, it wasn't going to get any better at all. Not even Saquon Barkley as the running back could save it. That's just uh, the command. Uh, the difference between the Giants and the Commanders was that Washington at least had glimmers at the beginning of the year and they showed a little bit of talent. The Giants had none of it whatsoever. And I know that this offense had a spark when DeVita was in there, but, but let's just be honest. Let's be honest. The giants, at least from a future standpoint are not in a good spot, um, which is why I'm putting that number five. And who knows, maybe if they are a little bit more competitive uh, against the Eagles, then I can move them up a little bit, but because they do have the Eagles and they have to play them twice, which is why I'm keeping them at number five, because I think they're just going to get lower and lower with a couple of losses there. Uh, there is another New York team that's at five and nine right now, and they are the Jets, who are at number four. And it is now officially the 13th straight season of no playoffs 
for the New York Jets. Congratulations, New York. You got the longest streak in active American sports of playoff misses. And that should officially put Aaron Rodgers on the sidelines, which I did not believe at all for one minute. Now he's telling Pat McAfee, oh, I'm not 100% just yet. I need two or three more weeks. Oh, guess what? Two or three more weeks is the end of the regular season. Funny how you're saying that now when your team is out of playoff uh, contention. When you were saying, oh, I'm ready to come back. I'm ready to come back Um, when the team was still in contention. You know, that's just Aaron Rodgers' ego saying, hey, I can take this team that's out of the grave and I can get them to wins and I can get them into the postseason. Well, guess what? Now that they're out of the postseason, Oh, I'm not 100% just yet. So to all of you who believe that Aaron Rodgers was actually coming back three and a half months off of a blown Achilles, right? His Achilles basically blew up. Um, I say you just got played by this guy. You got played by Aaron Rodgers. So he will not be coming back. Thank goodness. Because I did not believe it for one second. Not at all. So. I'll just take a little victory lap uh, once we get to our next commercial break on that one. Uh, number three, we're going to put the Cardinals here. I mean, they put up a fight against the Niners, but just San Fran was just too much. I mean, props to the offense, though. 430-plus yards against a tough San Fran team. And, I mean, I would even argue if they had Kyler Murray and this sort of offensive lineup that they had at the start of the year, they would be a lot better than 3-11, and but... It is what it is. You had Murray had that knee injury. You had to go with Dobbs then for Clayton Toon for one game. Um, you know, the, it's just it's just basically a gap year for Arizona is how they're looking. I I think they're hoping that Tyler will come back, you know, fully healthy and he'll be ready to lead this charge because I think I think this is sort of a middle team. You know, they I would say maybe if this offense was at the start of the year, they'd be like seven and seven and not three and eleven. They wouldn't be a good team, um, but they wouldn't be a horrible team. But that's just that's just how uh things fell, especially uh with all the weapons that they had. You know, they've got a really good tight end in Trey McBride, which is why Zach Ertz uh called to get out of there and requested to get out of there. Um, you know, they they've got uh really good receivers, uh Rondell Moore, uh just to name a few. Um, so I, I think I think this is just a gap year. I think Arizona is going to be better uh, next year for sure. They're not I'm not going to say they're going to be, you know, division winners and they're going to overtake uh, San Francisco. No, 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 no. Don't don't get that twisted. But I think next year they're going to be better. I, I, I really do think so. Into the top two right now. I'm going to put the Patriots here. Uh, nothing, nothing new on that one. You know, Bailey Zappi has a good first half and then a really bad second half, which has been the story of his career. I didn't expect any victory coming out uh, hosting Kansas City. I mean, there was more attention on Taylor Swift than the game itself, um, considering that, you know, it was just bad mistake after bad mistake, really bad personnel. I mean, the defense fought. They picked off Mahomes twice, but, you know, nothing nothing doing there. And honestly, I can't see them winning another game. They got a Christmas Eve night in Denver. Then they go to Buffalo. Then they host the Jets. I honestly can't see a win. I I cannot see a win. Maybe against the Jets at the end of the year, but I'm fully on the tank train, hoping that uh, they can get that number one pick. Uh, Sort of a wait and see for that one. But even with the victory, 
I have to leave Carolina at number one because they still have the worst record in football, and it wasn't even a win. They just got lucky, you know, that they were able to move down the field and play an, a team that was just as mediocre in Atlanta. And for once, Bryce Young wasn't the worst quarterback on the field when he had to go against Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke. I mean, yeah, 167 yards, but he was pretty accurate, 18-24, and 24, and somehow they won without scoring a touchdown. So, sorry, but Carolina didn't do anything out of the ordinary despite the victory for me to move them up uh, in the rankings. So there you go. That is uh, the rankings right there. You know, we'll be back uh, in 2024. If there's some significant change or not, I don't know. We'll kind of wait and see, but sort of a, that's, that's how we end the year, at least with these rankings at the top and the bottom. Um, I don't know if they're going to change drastically with uh three weeks ago, but who knows? We'll see where everyone ends up regarding draft order and playoff spots. Um, but coming up next, we're going to dive into a bunch of other subjects we'll get into, including Draymond Green suspension, uh, another loss for the Detroit Pistons, and so much for in our quick hit segment coming up next. So now we're moving on to our quick hit segment. We normally do this in our third segment, but we've got a special segment coming up uh, after this one as we look at the big sports stories of the year. So just a couple of uh, little things that we want to get into. Uh, obviously, when, when we talk about Draymond Green, I don't think that's a, a big or a little story. I mean, this is a big story. You know, this this year has been kind of crazy for Draymond. I mean, um you know, uh, getting uh, the suspension um, after the chokehold of Rudy Gobert. And now he's suspended indefinitely after uh, striking Yusuf Nurkic. And when you watch the replay, obviously it was not intentional, but it was just him sort of doing his usual flop and, you know, smacking a guy uh, in the face. And, you know, kind of looking back on it, intentional or not, this behavior has to stop. And I'm not just talking about, you know, selling calls or anything like that. But I'm talking about arguing with the officials, the egregious flopping and the the constant, you know, you know, I, I understand like you can get energized with like trash talk or anything like that, but this stuff has to stop though. And now he's finally being held accountable for these actions because he was sort of getting that superstar treatment, similar to like what a LeBron James and Kevin Durant, where they like get calls or whatever. Draymond Green was getting the benefit of the doubt was because he's on the championship Golden State Warriors, this dynasty team. And he would get away and he would have a longer leash when talking with officials or, uh, you know, he would he would get a quick technical, but he would be much more he would get more flexibility for getting a second technical because then he would get ejected from the game and no one would want that. But let's just put it like this, you know, from a year plus from striking Jordan Poole to the chokehold on Gobert and now this hit to Nurkic, you know, I'm not going to go down the road of mental health because reports are saying like he's going to get counseling or whatever. I'm not going to go down that road at all, but I hope that, when he comes back, whenever this may be, you know, if it's 10 games, which I, I probably think it should be, um, he's got to be finally held accountable, which the league is finally taking that route. And I hope 
that he's sort of looking himself in the mirror and saying, okay, you know, I can continue to sort of be myself, but to take this at another level it is you can't do that. So no more uh, uh, selling the call where you're kicking guys in the balls. Uh, no more selling calls where you're hitting guys in the face. No more arguing with the officials for more than like 15 seconds or being as demonstrative as he normally is. Because, I mean, when you go to the call and he's talking with officials, he's getting a little bit more animated than some should. So if you put like a, I don't, I don't know, you, you just, just name a random player that's not Draymond or has this reputation of arguing with officials, they would be getting, boom, quick technical like that. But because it's Draymond, hopefully, uh, you know, he's he's sort of done some reflecting and have looked and has looked back into all the incidents he's been a part of. I mean, let's face it. He cost the Warriors a championship by being out for game five um, when he picked up a technical by flailing and swinging at LeBron James. He jumps in the air and stomps on Demonis Sabonis' chest, which can be a big-time injury. Luckily, Sabonis was not severely hurt. I mean, he basically ruined Jordan Poole's career because his own team decided to go on his side rather than on Poole's side. I mean, not saying either guy is right, but the fact is Draymond Green himself is finally getting taken, as I say over and over, he's finally being held accountable. And the question now becomes, does he change his way of thinking and change his way of acting? (laughs) because this sort of behavior can end his stint with the Warriors because they basically have said, you know what? I don't want, we might not want to deal with this anymore. And considering the contract uh, deals that they're going with um, where they have Clay Thompson up and they have Draymond up, they might pick Clay over Draymond because they don't want to deal with the, these headaches that Draymond continues to provide them. So hopefully this latest suspension will humble Draymond up and understand that it is, I forget who said this, which analyst said it, but it's a privilege to play in the NBA and he's been given chance after chance. And because he was sort of held to the standard, he sort of, I guess, bought into that as well, where he had this idea of, you know, pushing the line of, okay, how much can I get away with? Now, he can't get away with anything at all. So, I I hope Draymond Green comes back uh, a much different player, or a much different person, I should say, because the Warriors need him to win. They need him if they want to go go long in any kind of playoff run. Um, The only problem is he hasn't been able to stay on the court. And I really hope that the league and the Warriors themselves are pushing this narrative on Draymond to be basically saying, when you come back, you better have learned your lesson. Because if not, we'll just hit you with 15 games. After that, you don't learn it, we'll go 20, so on and so on and so on. The benefit of the doubt is gone. So that's basically how it is with Draymond Green. I really, I really do hope that he does change when he comes back. Because he is entertaining. He's a really good player. He's probably going to the Hall of Fame. But he'll always have the stain of these suspensions and these hot-headed moments 
rather than just being an effective player. Um, so that's that's sort of where I am with the Draymond situation. And hopefully we can revisit it when the league says, you know what, it's time. You've learned your lesson moving on. You know, at least they put, you know, incentives in there for that one. I'm um, staying in the NBA. You know, let, let's go on an even darker side, uh, at least on the court, that is. And that is the fact that the Pistons continue to lose. This is 24 straight losses. That's right. This Pistons team hasn't won in a month and a half. And depending on where things go, it could be two months before they win a game. You got to keep in mind, this Detroit team started two and one. They've beaten Charlotte and they've beaten Chicago. And they started two and one. But it has just been a nightmare. A nightmare for Detroit. And, you know, it's not even like these games have been close. They have been blowouts. They're not even close. I'm just, I'm looking at the schedule right now. I think the closest one they've had recently uh, was this last night to Atlanta where they lost by six. But it's like you got Utah, you got Brooklyn, you got Boston, Toronto, Houston. I mean, who even knows if they're going to break the the record for worst record in the league? I believe it was nine and 72, uh, I think, by an old Sixers team. And I think the uh, middle of the process Sixers have the worst losing streak uh, in NBA history with 27. But as I said last week, this was a team I thought was going to be really good. But they just continue to lose. And I don't know if Monty Williams is is being effective, but it can't be on on Monty because this was a guy who was well-respected from his time in New Orleans, uh, from his time in uh, Phoenix not too while ago. So obviously it has to be on the players. This has got to be on the players. They're obviously not picking up any kind of message that he's sending to them. And I expect a full clean out there. Because, I mean, I really do expect the full clean-out because Detroit, this is a historic franchise, you got to keep in mind. It's not on the the Lakers, Celtics, and Bulls level, but this is a historic franchise. They made the bad boys of Detroit. They've got Hall of Famers like Lambeer and Isaiah Thomas. And the fact is that they're losing 24 straight? I mean, it it could get worse now that the Spurs have ended their big losing streak. Um, I I really hope that Detroit, I, I hope they break the streak and are not on this historic path. I, I really do hope so, but my goodness, they are in infamy right now. Um, getting over to baseball, though, no big moves outside of Otani, nothing really big, but obviously the Dodgers uh, kept making the moves and they had the flexibility since Otani only took $2 million this year. Um, they made a trade with the Rays. Uh, they got Manuel Margot, and also Tyler Glass now. Glass now is someone who I really want to focus on because not only did they trade for him, they gave him a five-year, $136 million extension. And ultimately, the Dodgers have said, we need pitching, um, you know, long-term and present-term. Because let's face it, their starting rotation was horrible, probably the worst in Dodger history, um, considering now the injuries that they have. Um, obviously, they're not going to have Clayton Kershaw for the beginning part of the year as he deals with a, a surgery. But Glasnow, when healthy, can be an effective starter. So if they have a healthy, you know, Gonsolin, I think, was hurt for a long time. They still got Urias in their rotation. Um, obviously, they're not going to have Otani. 
uh, for the future uh, until at least uh, 2025. But depending on how this rotation looks, like they got to fix that starting pitching. Because, I mean, um, with Urias, Gonsolin, Kershaw, Lassen out Otani, maybe in 2025 it's a good rotation, but at least for 24, um, he can help as long as he stays healthy, for sure, as long as he stays healthy. But one more story really quickly as we stay in baseball. Max Scherzer uh, does not get good news right after his second World Series win. He's getting back surgery, and he's going to be out until midseason. And I believe that this is the final year of his contract uh, that he initially signed with the Mets uh, in 21. So back surgery is a killer, not just for any athlete, but especially for a near 40-year-old who's been sort of on the downside of his career. I mean, I still had a little bit of faith when he came back during the World Series that he was going to be an effective pitcher, but... He's nowhere near where his Cy Young numbers used to be. And honestly, um, I would be very surprised if 2024 was not uh, his last season of his career. I think he's got to call it after this one because it's just been injury after injury after injury. And even when he's come back, he hasn't been uh, the same Max Scherzer that we're used to seeing from his time in Detroit and then his time in Washington. Um He's not the same guy. So I I hate to say it, but I think Scherzer's got to be on his way out the door and if the team won't tell him or him personally won't tell himself, I think the doctors are going to be like, listen, you're getting two surgeries each year and you're dealing with three injuries each season. I think you got to stop. And because you've already, you've already got a hall of fame career. Like there's nothing more you got to do. You got two rings. You got a couple of Cy Youngs. I think there's nothing more than he needs. I, I nothing more that Max Scherzer needs. So back surgery is going to be a killer. Um, maybe, maybe he can come for a late run, maybe like a, a bullpen kind of guy, maybe like a closer or something. I don't know, but it's not looking good for Max Scherzer's career. Not at all. So those are the little segments that, uh, we're going to get into, uh, before we end the year. But speaking of the end of the year, I thought, uh, we'd take a little segment and we'd sort of reflect back on some of the big moments that happened, uh, in 2023. We'll give you that coming up next. up is a uh, special segment we're gonna look back on 2023 since this is the last episode uh until we return in 2024 and we'll sort of look back uh going to some of the big stories and the big moments uh that have happened all throughout uh the sports world in 2023 and i think i think the theme uh at least there's two things that i really want to uh dive into the the first one that i want to look at is sort of the new audience standpoint, because I think there's no doubt that the sports world. And I think just the world in general was dominated with um, Taylor Swift getting involved now in the NFL, just by dating Travis Kelsey. And I think just that inclusion of you have the fans of the pop star and then fans of football sort of combining into two and it's really opened up a bunch of new avenues 
uh, at least for the NFL. I remember talking to uh, Nick Fitzy Stevens this past Sunday, uh, right before the Six Rings postgame show on AEI, and I basically asked, you know, how many fans were there for Taylor Swift? How many were there for the actual football game? And um, what he told me was there were a bunch of uh, new fans who had signs that were basically saying, here for Taylor Swift. And then when she was shown in the press box on the video board, you heard some cheers from basically all the female and teenagers. And then you had a bunch of boos from the males um, as expected. Um, and, you know, the attention is crazy. I've, I've for myself have said in the past that I'm kind of sick and tired about making a big hoopla over the fact that she's going to games, you know, she's never been to sporting events at all. We've never seen her courtside or in the stands for a hockey, you know, anything like that. Um, so I, I've been over that. But you can't go wrong with the ratings, the, the figures, anything like that. The fact that she is bringing this along, you know, she's taken the NFL to a whole new light. And I'm not saying it's anything like she's doing intentionally, just her aura of bringing in all these fans who probably don't even like football at all, but are just there uh, to to see her. And it's putting new eyes on the game. And you even heard from Swift or stuff. I think she said at one point, I don't know what I was missing out on in terms of watching football. Like you actually see her get invested like an actual like an actual fan. So um, I think the biggest story had to have been the fact that herself um, getting involved in the NFL, whether it be intentional or not, um, has really done wonders for the National Football League. And you you saw in those first couple of weeks how they were able to capitalize on it. Um, you know, do I still think it's overblown? Absolutely. But I mean, at, at least from a league's uh, standpoint, if uh, if it's going to keep driving up money and revenue and television ratings, then keep it going, I say. I mean, you don't got to be crazy like you were uh, at the beginning, but, you know, you can at least use it to your advantage, which is what the NFL has done. Um, and then the other sports figure sort of on the side of that had to have been Lionel Messi. I mean, it wasn't as big as the Taylor Swift NFL thing, but you can argue that the same sort of attention was applied to when Lionel Messi joined the MLS. The fact that the best soccer player in the world, um, who might be a little bit past his prime, decides to take his talents uh, to the USA. He plays in America, and not just himself on the field, but he's getting more eyeballs uh, in the U.S. onto the Major League Soccer. You know, and it's got more people, um, at least in America, paying attention, you know, to these World Cups or these international games. You know, you have more eyes on soccer than you initially thought. Um, because, you know, as I said, when it happened, that it's not the same as when David Beckham came to the LA Galaxy, I want to say in 2007 or 2008 uh, in that timeline. Um, because he was sort of on the back half of his career. He kind of wanted to make the trip to America to get some new business ventures, anything like that. Uh, it's different because Messi still is, you know, he's a little bit older, but he's still playing phenomenal. I mean, when you 
when you watch highlights of these games, like he's still carving up these players and, you know, he's got a, a goal and a point every single time that he played in the MLS. So the fact that Messi was able to draw sort of that European audience and even in America too, and to make the MLS uh, bigger than it once was, I mean, there's talks about expansion all of a sudden. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's big. I think it was big for Lionel Messi to make the move, um, not just to uh, gain a bunch of money, but again, more eyes go to the MLS than they did before now uh, in uh, the USA. So the same thing that Taylor Swift did with her fans, getting them into football, Lionel Messi did the same thing with his fans uh, and soccer fans in general in America going to the MLS. So I think the new audience has to be uh, favored for those two. So that that's, that's theme number one that I see. Uh, theme number two was the first-time champions uh, from this past year. I think it made a lot of things more fun. Obviously, you had the Denver Nuggets uh, getting their first NBA championship and just watching Nikola Jokic uh, right after they win it all. He's just like, I'm tired. I need to go home. <laughs> that was just so much fun. I mean, he wasn't celebrating a title uh, the same that all of us would. We'd just be so excited. Um, so that was kind of fun. Uh, the Golden Knights getting the their first Stanley Cup, you know, being the, I think, you know, don't fact check me on this, but the second fastest expansion team uh, to win a championship. Uh, I think they're behind the Diamondbacks uh, when they did it in the major leagues in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, the Knights sort of coming out of nowhere. All of a sudden, this big expansion team decides to win it all um, and bringing more eyes to at least the Vegas scene when it comes to, to sports. Uh, the Knights helping that. And the Texas Rangers winning their first World Series. I mean, this was a team that kind of bought their way to a championship. You know, they 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 signed Semyon, they signed Seager uh, two years ago, and then a year later they get a couple of more big contracts and they finally pay it off. And Texas is a is is a big sports state. I mean, no one's gonna put that past. And to see them win a World Series, kind of celebrate that, that was kind of fun. So. First time champions were kind of kind of nice to see. And then the third, obviously, is the continued growth of women's sports. I mean, you saw how much attention that LSU got in the women's national title game. Um, Caitlin Clark was the talk of college basketball. Um, you had the uh, Women's World Cup. Obviously, Megan Rapinoe in her farewell. Sue Bird in her so long in the WNBA. Um, you know, the, the game just continues to grow, at least on the women's side of things. Um, they're getting a lot more attention than that uh, they normally would. Um, and it, it, it it's good. It, it should have happened a long time ago. And I'm just very happy to see so much growth, at least on the women's side of things, just everywhere, absolutely everywhere. So those are really the three big things that I looked at, just the continued growth of women's sports, the first time titles, and of course the new audiences that were introduced into the sports world. So here's to a great uh, sports year in 2023. And I hope we can get an even better one when we get to 2024. But up next, we get right back on the usual track that we do and talk about our Boston teams in our Let's Get Local segment. That's up next. This is our city. All right, let's get into it with our Let's Get Local segment, looking at all the teams in Boston and how they're closing out their 2023. And of course, we always start 
with the Patriots. Um, I'm kind of done with talking about their their game or anything on the field or whatever. I'm done with that. It's time to look at the big picture because this this was a lost season a long time ago. I mean, losing to the Chiefs 27-17, to 17, that doesn't mean anything except for one thing. The fact that now, with that loss and the Carolina win, they are only one game back of possibly getting that number one overall pick. I have no idea about the tiebreaker, strength of schedule, anything that could go along uh, with Carolina. Um, but the fact is, um, if they did not win that game in Pittsburgh, that means they probably could have had the number one pick right now. And I'm not going to say I'm upset. I mean, I'm not someone who is outwardly saying, yes, tank, 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 for sure. Um, you know, I would like it if they could find a way to get that number one pick. You know, I'm not going to look back and say, oh, oh, if they didn't win against Pittsburgh, they could have had a number one pick. You know, I'm not anything like that. Because I think, I think this is a pretty deep draft class where I would be happy if they got Caleb Williams or Drake May or Jaden Daniels. Though One of those three I would be perfectly happy with. Um, so I, I'm not upset at, at that standpoint. And the nice thing is that there's only three games left in the season, which means there's only three weeks of watching really bad football in Foxborough. And hopefully that will get better when they clean house in 2024, because I think every decision that happens in 2024 has to be made without Bill Belichick. I've been riding this train for a couple of weeks is that there's something within the organization, you know, maybe the players won't outwardly say it, but we've seen hints of it on social media. You know, when Malik Cunningham gets signed off the practice squad and goes to Baltimore, you got Trent Brown saying, go where you wanted, or Jalen Mills saying, you know, see no lies or, or anything like that. But everyone has tuned out Bill Belichick and, you know, everyone's going to make this big deal about the reporting wars between Tommy Kern and Ian Rappaport. You know, Kern was saying that, Robert Kraft made up his mind after the Germany game. And then Ian Rappaport on Saturday night, Sunday morning, refuted that uh, there's no decision. I mean, if I had to say between a local reporter and a national reporter, I would favor the local. Um, because honestly, like I can see why Germany would be sort of the 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 exit point uh, for, for Robert Kraft. To see a team uh, in an international game look as bad as they did um, against a team that was sort of on their same level in terms of mediocre um, should have been it. I mean, when Robert Kraft, when the video came out of him just dropping his head and in disgust, like that would have been my decision point too. You know, I, I don't know. We can't get into the mind of Robert Kraft. And there's so many defenders out there saying like, it's you, you got to keep him because you have no choice. One of them being the guys I work with, Christian Fourier. I think you can move on to him. You have to at least take that chance because from what I can see, there needs to be a clear out of Bill Belichick and everyone associated from him because there's always, there seems to be this sort of like this reek, this sort of stench of all the decisions he's made, whether it's, you know, Malik Cunningham going to a new team and Kayshawn Booty showing his frustrations about being inactive. Um, finally deciding to move to Bailey Zappi and just continuing to be mum on all these big decisions that he's made. I don't understand like why people would still want to hold on to him. I mean, Ty law wants to go to Gerard Mayo. I wouldn't be upset with that. Um, but it's literally just like an a 
an ABB, anyone but Belichick, because I think his way of doing things is just finally gone. I've had it. I'm done. I want to move on because Belichick is just not effective anymore. I I can't even say if he's effective as a defensive coach uh, because, yeah, the defense has looked better, but you still give up 27 uh, to Kansas City. Um, and, you know, I because he's never going to take just a coordinator job. Like, he can't – his his idea of building personnel has been out of touch for four years. So I, I'm done. I'm ready. I, I don't want any of his tree of people at all. I want everything that has to do with Bill Bell. You can still celebrate him for the six Super Bowls and the 25 years that he's had, but at least for the immediate future – I don't want anything to do with him. I don't want any semblance of him. So that means, you know, him and his kids, um, Bill O'Brien, maybe he has to go, you know, get another offensive mind in there. Um, you know, all the signees and extensions go and trade them. So I think everyone associated with him has to go. That's just how I see it with the Patriots. And I'm sure we'll get deeper and deeper as we get to 2024 and the off season questions really start to, uh, start to pick up, uh, for them. But I, I want to get on a positive note because I hate being all negative about the Patriots, but I want to get positive and I want to talk about the Celtics because they are dominant. They've won five straight. They're undefeated at home, um, 14 and 0 at TD Garden. How about that? Which, by the way, is the second best start in history behind a 17 and 0 start by some guy named Bill Russell and his team back in 1957 and 58. And what was really telling during this these, these home games, I understand it was two uh, against Cleveland and then two against Orlando, but you can really start to see the sacrifice that the top guys are making. I think initially when everyone, uh, when the trade was made to bring in Chris Hoth Porzingis and to trade away Marcus Smart and not bring back Grant Williams and then to bring in Drew Holiday, trade away Robert Williams and Malcolm Brogdon, you know, Everyone talked about there has to be sacrifice. Some guys are going to have to sacrifice. But now you're starting to see it play out. You're seeing that some nights Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are leading the way. Other nights it's Derek White and Jason Tatum. It's Jalen Brown and Christoph Porzingis, so on and so on. I mean, you had Jalen Brown who in the first game against Orlando had 18 and I believe was ejected. But still, 18, uh, 18 points. Um or no, I think it was one of the Cleveland games. Um, but anyway, you had Jalen Brown scoring 18 one night. The other night, he's got 31. So Kristaps uh, Porzingis, he's getting uh, 21 and 10 one night. The other night, he's getting 16. Jason Tatum, same way. Derek White, same way. You're starting to see that the top five and the top six guys, uh, including Al Horford coming off the bench, are really buying into the sacrifice and sort of this play style that Joe Mazzula ha has uh, constructed. And so I give full credit to those top five guys. I mean, we know that Drew Holiday is always going to be the professional. We know Derek White's going to be the professional. It was those other three guys, um, Porzingis, Tatum, and Brown, who had to do it, and they did. Um, Al Horford has fully embraced being a six guy off the bench and bringing the energy when he comes in on the floor. The fact that he can play with anybody uh, is really impressive. Um, I love the, the depth. Uh, that the top eight are giving with Sam Hauser and Pritchard. I said before that these are two guys who play off of confidence. And I think you get confidence 
from having a firm role on the team and getting a consistent amount of minutes. When you look at it last year, Sam Hauser was not a consistent player off the bench. Peyton Pritchard was not a consistent guy off the bench. It was basically based on matchups. Well, now they're getting put in regardless of the matchup, you know, and we've seen them be able to use that confidence. I mean, Peyton Pritchard had six of seven threes and had 21 on Friday night. You don't think he's doing that last year? No, because he didn't have any consistent minutes. Same thing with Sam Hauser. He's knocking down big shots because he's getting the opportunity. So I love the top eight that are going on. And I'm sure uh, in 2024, we'll have many conversations with Justin Turpin, who's our EEI Celtics insider, and can tell you more about it. Um, But I I love those top eights. And maybe if the reports are true and they say that they have their eyes on Isaiah Stewart from Detroit – I would love to have him off the bench as a big man because I love Luke Cornett, but he's not a guy coming off the bench. Uh, this Kata guy, I still think needs a little bit of work. Nemius Kata or whatever I think it is. Um, I wouldn't trust having Lamar Stevens or O'Shea Brissett as a consistent guy uh, off the bench. So I think if you bring in Stewart and you have that top nine, I think this is a team that I can fully believe are going to be on their way to a championship, not just getting there, but winning it all. So That's what I love watching with the Celtics. And I'm going to be really interested to see how they do in this West Coast trip. They got to play the Warriors, the Clippers. Um, I think they'll have the Kings as well. Um, So this will be, uh, I just love watching this team. This team is so good. And if they win it all, I'm going to be hopefully right there. I'm going to be dropping everything and being there uh, at the parade. Um, And then just to, to wrap things up, um, getting into the Bruins because they've sort of been back and forth. I mean, you can only be bailed out by your goalies for so long, but while they've had points in three straight games, they've had two, two on OT losses, which are not good. Um, I mean, again, you can only, as I say, you can only trust on Swayman and Olmark so much. I, I think the big thing is just Jim Montgomery has to be confident with what he's putting out there. You know, when he has sort of these struggles like this, you can make a minor change, but you can't go crazy, which is why I think that they lost to Florida in the playoffs last year was because Jim Montgomery was so maybe not eager, but he just, he didn't, he didn't, he had no room for error when he probably did have a little bit of room for error and he made a bunch of line changes. So, um, You know, I I think just figuring out, you know, what lines work best and then letting them go through their kinks and their inconsistencies. Because this this is a young team. You have Beecher, Patra, Heinen, Lorai. They're all going to go through their struggles, which all young players do. It's just a matter of grinding through those and making sure that their confidence remains high. Because, you know, if if you have a guy like Matt Patra, uh, who's gone, you know, has like a pointless streak in 10 straight games. You don't want to move him like back to the fourth line or the third line because of his bad play on the first line with Marshawn. You just got to keep giving him that confidence. And, you know, now you have the this controversy of he's now going to play in the juniors for Canada uh, rather than playing for the Bruins. I mean, I don't know much about that. I'm sure we'll probably dive into it when the time comes. Um, but it's just a matter of these young guys getting through uh, this sort of scoreless streak or whatever that they they have, um, trying to, to fight through that. Um, and just Jim Montgomery not being so itchy on that trigger finger 
when it comes to uh, changing up the lines. So that's where I am with the Bruins. But overall, I'd say it's a pretty good state uh, with Boston sports. You got the Bruins and the Celtics continuing to win. And hopefully there's some upsides. Hopefully the Red Sox can get in this Yamamoto sweepstakes. Or if anything that Chris Cotillo told us last week, you know, those moves can happen. But uh, we wrap up the show with another special segment coming up next. So normally at the end of the show, as we always do here, we do our LOL moment of the week. We look at the sports uh, blooper that made us laugh out loud uh, from the past week. But this one's going to be a little different. No LOL moment this week. I just sort of want to look back personally for me on 2023 and uh, tell you what's coming up uh, in 2024. Because obviously for those that missed it, uh, we had a break. From this podcast, uh, we took a break in January of, uh, sorry, June of 2022. And then we came back in July of 2023 uh, while we were, or at least me personally, I was going through some things, working it out at a EEI, other stuff like that. But I came back uh, and I've started this podcast back up and I've kept it going ever since. Um, Sort of looking big picture, at least for me, um, because we are approaching a hundred episodes um, and we'll do that in January at some point. Um, but when I started this podcast in November of 2020, it was sort of like a, a stuck hobby to get myself through the pandemic. Cause I was, I, I was still looking for something in the industry. You know, I, I was stuck since college, obviously pandemic got put everyone's plans on hold. And really the only thing I had was a little restaurant gig. Um, and while it was nice and I've made some great connections there, I, I still have that employment and I still do have those connections. It's uh, It wasn't hitting me the same as doing anything in regards to sports. And I was just sort of sitting around and wondering like, how, what can I do to pass the time? Um, and sure enough, I started this podcast and you know, a lot of work does go into this. Don't it? It's a lot. It's a lot of work. You know, I, I'm literally a team of one. You know, I record, I edit, I promote, I do everything I can to get this off the ground. You know, I it, would I like to be making money out of this for sure. But this is just a hobby that is helping me get my name out there. And hopefully there's one of these episodes that someone's just listening and saying, Oh, this is a pretty good talent right here. We might want to bring him along. And sure enough, that got me into WEEI. It was was part of it when I got hired uh, in March of 2022 and then got started in April uh, that same year. And while there's been some steady climbing there, I'm still right there at, sort of this entry phase uh, in regards to getting into the broadcast industry. And so um, I was given the suggestion, hey, uh, if you want to get some airtime, anything like that, you should do a podcast. And I remembered, hey, I do have I had a podcast. And so I sort of found the energy to start it back up again. And I can honestly say that it's probably the best decision that I made. I think having that year off and sort of letting my body reset 
and letting my mind reset was maybe the best move that I could have made, you know, to to have a full reset and to get my mind in the, the right headspace to offer my thoughts in the world of sports, um, to, to promote myself in other great ways. Um, and I just forgot how vital, you know, doing this podcast is because, I mean, I, I don't do it for money. You know, I, I would love to be doing it for money, but I don't. You know, I don't even do this for um, because I have to, you know, not because my boss told me, hey, if you want to get in the industry, this is how you got to do it. I literally do this because I love it. I, I really do love it. If there's one thing I'm good at, it's it's talking sports and driving home points. Um, you know, I, I might not be as talented as any of the other pe- the other coworkers I have on EEI, I might not be even talented as other podcasters out there, not for sure. But the fact that I get to put this into my weekly routine just because I want to, not because I have to, but because I want to, is an absolute joy that I get to do. So I say to all of you uh, who have been listening to me, whether it was when we rejoined uh, earlier this year or when we started all the way back uh, three years ago. I just say once again, thank you for the support. Um, I hope this leads to bigger and better things. I hope this helps me grow, uh, not just as a a uh, sports pundit, um, but just as a person in general when it comes to hard work, uh, paying off. I my, my mother always tells me just stay patient and good things will come and that's what i hope to do so i'll just keep working at this podcast and i'll just say i'm very much looking forward to crossing the 100 episode threshold because it'll show me that all the hard work and all the sacrifice that i put in has paid off so i say once again to all the followers and listeners of the let me speak podcast i say thank you and here's to a greater 2024 And with that, we are done, not just for this episode, but for the year 2023. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this edition and our Rejoin 2023 uh, episodes of Let Me Speak. As always, wherever you're getting this podcast, watching us on YouTube or listening, Spotify or Apple, make sure myself, you give me a follow on all social media platforms on Twitter or X. I'm at Joe Braverman PVP. Of course, give the podcast a follow. We've got pages on Instagram and Facebook. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. For everyone out there, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Hope it's a safe, healthy holidays, and we will see you in 2024 for some brand new episodes and including the 100th episode celebration of Let Me Speak. Later. Later.